So the CIA has long been accused of turning a blind eye to or being downright complicit in drug trafficking all over the world. But is there any truth to those allegations? Well, you're going to find out in today's episode. I'm Joshua Roberts, attorney at law, and you are watching Lawyer Up. In today's episode, we are going to look at the CIA and its alleged history of trafficking drugs, and in some cases, trafficking arms throughout the world. Now, we're going to start off by talking about the CIA in general and what makes that agency different from all other agencies of the federal government. And then we're going to get into the specific allegations of drug trafficking. We're going to go over to Europe, into France, and talk about the French connection. We're going to go to Southeast Asia and talk about Air America. Then we're going to go down to Latin America and get into the Iran-Contra scandal. And finally, we're going to go over to Afghanistan and talk about the Golden Crescent. We're also going to hit a little bit about Panama and Mexico, all in today's episode. Remember to like, comment, subscribe, and share. And recall that the episodes of Lawyer Up are available now on all major podcast outlets. So the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, is a civilian foreign intelligence service of the United States government. It is officially tasked with gathering, processing, and analyzing national security information from around the world. The CIA is headquartered in Langley, Virginia, about 10 miles from D.C., and it is primarily focused on providing intelligence to the president and the cabinet. Now, unlike the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigations, which is a law enforcement service, the CIA has no law enforcement function. Remember that. That becomes important as we move along. It is instead focused on overseas intelligence gathering. It is the only agency that is authorized by law to carry out covert actions at the request of the president. And this includes providing support to foreign political groups and governments. So there are some important things to remember about the CIA. Number one, they are not law enforcement. People say, well, how could they just stand around and watch illegal things happening? Well, it's because they ain't law enforcement, right? That's not their job. Number two, they are authorized by law to operate covertly, which means secretly, as opposed to all other agencies or government bodies that need to be open and transparent. That's not so with the CIA. They do things in secret. And number three, the CIA operates with a morality that the ends justify the means or that the end goal is the focus and it is to be achieved by any means necessary. Now note that is different than say traditional law enforcement. They have to follow the law on the way to the ends, right? On the way to the goal. Not so with the CIA. They have a morality that whatever they have to do to get to the goal is okay. So what is that goal? Well, for the first few decades of its existence, the CIA was focused on repelling the advancement of communism from around the globe. Their goal was to keep communism from gaining a foothold by whatever means necessary. Now, since 9-11, the focus has 
changed to more of a counterterrorism function with cyber terrorism emerging as the newest area of focus within the CIA. And what we have seen repeatedly with the CIA over the last several decades is that they will team up with a criminal element when they share a common enemy. For example, communism. As they say, sometimes a common enemy can make strange bedfellows, such as the way of the CIA and organized crime from around the world. And remember, the CIA doesn't have a military fleet at their disposal. Nonetheless, they have fought many secret wars for the United States by essentially choosing a side in an internal conflict and then supplying the side that they choose to support with the things that it needs. Lawyers, guns, and money, right? Well, more specifically, they supply it with intelligence, guns, and money. Now, intelligence is pretty easy for an intelligence agency to come by, but guns and money can be much more difficult to supply. And wars are ridiculously expensive. So the CIA has become very clever and creative over the years of covertly generating manpower, arms, and money. And this includes a history of looking the other way, protecting, and sometimes downright participating in the trafficking of illegal arms and contraband to serve the greater interests of the United States. In this video, we are primarily focusing on the CIA's involvement with drug trafficking, which sometimes is interwoven with arms transactions. So we'll talk about those. And these topics, there have been thousands of articles, books, TV shows, and movies have been created. There have been investigations by the government, hearings, reports by Congress, the Department of Justice has looked into these things, the CIA's Office of the Inspector General. The information out there is incredible, including the misinformation that's out there. After all, we are dealing with an organization that operates in secrecy. So if I say something in this video that is different than what you have heard, that is not surprising. In fact, I would be shocked if everything that I said was something that you had already heard. So in this video, I'm presenting the basic information and you can decide for yourself what you believe. And make sure you make some comments below and let the lawyer up world know what you think about all these various situations. So without further ado, let's head to Europe. The story begins in Marseille, which is a city in southeast France on the Mediterranean, which is the oldest city and the second largest metropolitan area next to Paris. Now, illegal heroin labs were first discovered in Marseille in 1937. These labs were run by Corsican gang leader Paul Carbone, for years, the Corsican underworld had been involved in the manufacturing and trafficking of heroin, primarily to the United States. The Corsican gang was protected by the CIA and the French government after World War II in exchange for working to prevent French communists from gaining a foothold in Marseille. It was this heroin network that eventually became known as the French Connection, which was memorialized in a classic movie of the same name. From there, the story moves to the Golden Triangle area in Southeast Asia. So the name Golden Triangle was actually coined by the CIA, and it refers to an area of approximately a million square kilometers that overlaps the mountains of three adjacent countries, 
Thailand, Laos, and Myanmar. Now, this area has been one of the largest opium-producing areas of the world since the 1950s, and most of the world's heroin came from the Golden Triangle until about 2002 when Afghanistan in the Golden Crescent became the world's largest producer. Now, the first allegations of CIA drug trafficking in the Golden Triangle surfaced in 1949 during the Korean War, but much more concrete evidence surfaced about a decade later during the Vietnam War. So everybody knows about the Vietnam War, right? The United States had aligned with South Vietnam, and we were trying to keep the communist regime of North Vietnam from moving down. It was highly publicized. What people don't recall is that there was basically the exact same war, albeit much less publicized, going on right next door in Laos. Same issue. So the United States government says, hey, CIA, we got our hands full over here in Vietnam. Why don't you guys take over Laos? Which, of course, is easier said than done because the CIA doesn't have any military troops. So here's what they did. The CIA's surrogate there was a Laotian general, Vang Pao, who enlisted and trained 30,000 Hmong tribesmen into the service of the CIA to fight against the communist insurgents. Now, the Hmong, that's spelled H-M-O-N-G. It's an ethnic group. The H is silent. Now, they ultimately lost this fight, which is why now in the United States we have such a large Hmong population comprised of people who originally were political and economic refugees after this conflict. But that's, of course, a different story. Let's get back to the CIA's secret war in Laos. And this was between 1961 and 1975. So the Hmong at issue lived primarily in an area called the Plain of Jars region, which is an area that has thousands of jars. And these are prehistoric, above-ground burial pods, basically, that date back thousands of years. Now, the jars are an interesting footnote, but they are less important than the fact that this area is great for growing opium poppy. And that's what they did there. The Hmong tribesmen grew and had grown for generations opium, and the entire community depended upon its cultivation and exportation to survive. The problem was the major airstrip that they used to get opium out of the area had fallen into enemy hands. Having no way to transport their opium out of the region, the Hmong were faced with economic ruin. So, enter Air America. Air America was a CIA-run airline that provided civilian support to the United States operations in both Vietnam and Laos. This included transporting food and supplies, soldiers. They did photo recon missions, search and rescue missions, food drops, weapon drops, anything basically that was needed for our forces in Vietnam and Laos. And they had small or light planes that could land on the little dirt runways that were created near the Hmong poppy fields, where the larger planes that needed a formal airport could not land. So to avoid the financial devastation of the tribe and in return for fighting for America's cause, the CIA-run Air America assisted the Hmong in flying their opium to its intended destination. Now, this allegation has been supported by statements from former CIA Tony Poe, several Air America pilots, and other people that were involved in the war. 
Now, before long, someone, and there were unproven allegations, it was a mafia family from Florida, established a heroin drug refinery right there. So then it's alleged that actual heroin was being ferried out on Air America planes. Now, this accusation is hotly disputed. In numerous books and articles and TV shows, Air America was alleged to have profited from transporting not only opium, but actual heroin on behalf of the Hmong leaders, or of at least turning a blind eye to the local military doing so. Dr. Alfred McCoy, who is a professor of Southeast Asian history at the University of Wisconsin, and who is considered the authority and expert on this topic, he wrote a book called The Politics of Heroin, CIA Complicity in the Global Drug Trade. And he states, and I quote, In most cases, the CIA's role involved various forms of complicity, tolerance, or studied ignorance about the trade, not any direct culpability in the actual trafficking. The CIA did not handle heroin, but it did provide its drug lord allies with transport, arms, and protection. In sum, the CIA's role in the Southeast Asian heroin trade involved indirect complicity rather than direct culpability. Now, it's important to note that several other historians have also written that Air America was not involved in the drug trade. They cite examples from people who lived and worked around Air America in Laos at that time. Interestingly, following a 2009 Freedom of Information request, a document entitled Undercover Armies, the CIA and surrogate warfare in Laos was released, and it stated that while the CIA was prohibited from carrying opium on any U.S. chartered flight, that only larger packages were inspected, such that small amounts of opium might have been transported unknowingly. So it seems that even the CIA is acknowledging that it probably happened. And if you're interested in seeing this story played out on the big screen, it is portrayed, at least in part, in the movie Air America. Now let's change continents and head to Nicaragua for that mess. So between 1979 and the early 90s, the United States backed a resistance group generally referred to as the Contras in Nicaragua. Now Contra is short for La Contra Revolution or Counter Revolution in English. And their mission was to topple the communist government run by the Sandinistas who had taken control after the Nicaraguan Revolution. Got it all? All right. So the Contras were originally backed by the United States, both financially and with arms. However, they engaged in some systemic terrorist attacks, not only on the Sandinistas, but also on civilian sites. And after some human atrocities came to light, the public opinion of the U.S.'s support began to wane. So in 1982, Congress officially forbid any further support of the Contras by the United States, said you can't do it. But without any financial or arms support from the United States, the Contras really had no chance, and that would mean communism would win. And President Reagan was not about to stand for that. So he continued to support the Contras under the table through the CIA. But now that it was forbidden by Congress, they had to figure out a sneaky way to do it. And they came up with two ways. Number one was drugs. And number two is what we now refer to as the Iran-Contra scandal. 
And we're going to talk about that briefly. So Iran, they had their own conflict going on and they were under a weapons embargo. And so they were having trouble arming themselves. So the Reagan administration between 1981 and 1986 sold arms to Iran under the purported notion that it was doing so to free seven American hostages that were being held in Lebanon. Now, this was thought odd because at the time of the first sale, the hostages hadn't even been taken yet. And it was odd because the proceeds from which Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North secretly diverted to the Contras in Nicaragua. This was, of course, prohibited by Congress, and so we had a scandal. And it was a big deal at the time. Oliver North and others testified before Congress and said they didn't really remember anything. He was later tried and convicted on three felony charges, and there were several other indictments that were issued, as well as 11 total convictions, all of which were either vacated on appeal, dismissed, or were ultimately pardoned by George H.W. Bush after things had blown over. Now, in addition, not only did the Contras receive support from arms sales, but they were also allegedly receiving support from illegal drug trafficking. In 1989, the United States Senate Committee on Foreign Relations issued the Kerry Report, which was the result of an investigation into drug trafficking from Central and South America into the United States. And the report concluded, and I quote, It is clear that individuals who provided support for the Contras were involved in drug trafficking. The supply network of the Contras was used by drug trafficking organizations and elements of the Contras themselves knowingly received financial and material assistance from drug traffickers. Now, the Kerry report was on the heels of a series of articles published in the San Jose Mercury News by a Gary Webb, which concluded that the Nicaraguans linked to the CIA-backed Contras had smuggled cocaine into the United States, which was cut and sold as crack cocaine in L.A., with the profits funneled back to the Contras. Now, his articles asserted that the CIA was aware of the cocaine transactions and large shipments of drugs into the United States by Contra personnel and directly assisted drug dealers to raise money for the Contras. Now, this allegation is hotly disputed. The Los Angeles Times, the New York Times, and the Washington Post all launched their own investigation into this, and they totally rejected Webb's allegations. Now, Webb later published a book based upon his series of articles. It was called Dark Alliance, the CIA, the Contras, and the Crack Cocaine Explosion. And if you are interested in that, a 2014 movie called Kill the Messenger depicts the whole Gary Webb saga which ended in his death, which was considered suspicious, very suspicious if you look into it. So regardless of whether the CIA was involved or not, it is clear that there were a lot of drugs coming into the United States in the 80s, which begs the question, how was it being done? And of course, I can't tell you every way it was being done, but I can tell you a major way, and that was by a fellow named Barry Seal. Now, Barry Seal was an ex-commercial pilot who became an international drug smuggler for the Medellin drug cartel. He got his introduction to Pablo Escobar and the cartel really by chance as he sat in jail in Honduras for smuggling cocaine. After their initial connection in 1981, Seal transported lots and lots and lots of cocaine for Pablo Escobar. 
at his peak, he earned up to a half a million dollars per flight transporting shipments of cocaine from Colombia to the United States. And by 1983, SEAL's team had $60 million in earnings. In total, his team made over 100 flights smuggling an estimated 56 tons of cocaine into the United States worth about $4 billion. SEAL's method was to use low-flying planes and dropping his cargo into remote areas of Louisiana. And after the authorities got suspicious, he altered operations north to a little town in western Arkansas called Mina. Now, there is a lot of controversy as to whether Mina Municipal Airport was the CIA site of a major influx of drugs and an outpouring of arms sent to the Contras in Nicaragua. Anyway, SEAL would go on to get convicted in the United States, and in 1984, he turned DEA drug informant. And in June of 84, as a DEA informant, he was actually able to gain footage of Pablo Escobar himself loading cocaine into one of his planes. However, not long after SEAL's involvement as an informant, that was leaked to the press. And by July, the story was plastered on the front page of the Washington Times. And so while SEAL's work was done in relation to the Medellin cartel, he was still able to provide enough information for the United States to indict Pablo Escobar. So then SEAL testified in several major trials. Then he did a documentary about his involvement with the cartels. Not the best idea. After seeing that video, Escobar put out a hit on SEAL that was carried out on February 19th of 1986 when he was killed in a hail of machine gun fire outside of where he was living at the time. Now, what is not clear and what is still the subject of discussion to this day is what SEAL's involvement was with the CIA and whether he was involved in smuggling weapons to the Contras from the Mina Municipal Airport in Arkansas. Now, as the book Smugglers in the Life and Death of Barry Seal states, there is no evidence to support the claim that Barry Seal worked for the CIA. And an FBI report released in July of 2020 stated that Barry Seal used Mina from 80 to 84 to smuggle drugs for Pablo Escobar and the Medellin cartel in Colombia, but did not ever smuggle drugs or weapons for the CIA. Now, the film American Made, which is a fictionalized telling of the story of Barry Seal, they take a very different position that he was a major player in getting guns and money to the Contras in Nicaragua. So what's the truth? Well, that's up for you to decide. So now let's head just a little south to Panama. Panama is where a large-scale drug dealer by the name of Manuel Noriega had been trafficking drugs since the late 50s, and he amassed a fortune. He was also the CIA's most valued asset in Latin America for decades, really, as he not only provided intelligence, but he also facilitated the delivery of weapons and cash and equipment all throughout the region. In fact, when the DEA tried to indict Noriega in 1971, the CIA said, uh-uh, no way, you're not doing it. He's too valuable. Then Noriega went on to become the de facto ruler of Panama in 1983, and he had been giving military assistance to Contra groups in Nicaragua at the request of the United States, 
who, in exchange, allowed him to continue his drug trafficking activities. Well, that was until October 5th of 1986 when CIA pilot Eugene Hassenfuss was shot down over Nicaragua by the Sandinistas and documents aboard the plane revealed many of the CIA's activities in Latin America and its connections with Noriega. This, of course, became a public relations nightmare for the government, who finally allowed the DEA to indict him for drug trafficking after decades of allowing his drug operations to proceed unchecked. And, of course, it took three years. But in 89, the United States invaded Panama as part of Operation Just Cause. They cornered the former Panamanian leader, and he surrendered to U.S. authorities. His trial took place in Miami, where he was sentenced to 45 years. He was ultimately extradited back to Panama to face charges there when he died in 2017. So from Panama, let's head east to Venezuela. And this is one of my favorites. So a U.S. government official said in 1990 that the anti-drug unit of the CIA accidentally shipped a ton of cocaine into the United States from Venezuela as part of an effort to track it and to gather evidence on drug gangs. The problem was they lost track of it, and the cocaine was sold untracked on the streets of the United States. Whoopsies. So the incident was first made public in 1993, and was part of a plan to assist an undercover agent to gain the confidence of a Colombian drug cartel. So the shipments took place despite objections of the DEA who said, this is a really bad idea. Well, when the failed plan came to light, the CIA officer in charge of the operation resigned, and the CIA issued a statement saying that there was poor judgment and management on the part of several CIA officers. Well, I'd say... From here, let's go around the world to the Middle East, and we're going to talk about Afghanistan. Now, Afghanistan, along with Pakistan, comprise what is referred to as the Golden Crescent. It has been one of the largest opium-producing areas of the world since the 1950s and surpassed the Golden Triangle in 2002 when Afghanistan became the world's largest producer of heroin. Now, the U.S. has a long and tortured history in Afghanistan. It has been the setting for continual conflict, first between communist forces in the United States and now between Taliban forces in the United States. So back in the 80s, the Mujahideen rebels, they relied heavily on the opium trade to finance their efforts to repel the Soviet forces from Afghanistan. And the CIA, who obviously supported their efforts to push back communism, supplied trucks and mules to transport weapons for the rebels, as well as transporting opium to the refineries along the Afghan-Pakistani border. It is estimated that the output made up one half of all heroin entering the United States at that time. And U.S. officials admitted in 1993 that they had failed to take action against Afghan heroin because they knew their allies relied heavily on the proceeds from its sale to fund their war efforts against the Soviets. And, you know, ultimately it worked. The Soviet forces withdrew from Afghanistan. Unfortunately, then the Taliban took over. They took control in 1996, and interestingly, in 2000, they actually banned all opium production. That resulted in a 94% decrease in the production of opium and heroin in 2001. Now, 
Their ban only lasted about a year, and after the American invasion toppled the Taliban, opium production was back and it was greater than ever. It was during this invasion that the CIA befriended warlords and drug cartels to gain intelligence and to assist with force to repel the Taliban insurgency. The United States wanted the Taliban out of Afghanistan because they were terrorists. The drug cartels wanted them out because they had outlawed opium. And again, common enemy making odd bedfellows. Regardless, by 2016, opium production had grown by 43%. In fact, the post-war economy in Afghanistan is so dependent upon opium that is now referred to as a narco state, where the government government officials, drug traffickers, and even everyday citizens are all benefiting from opium sales. Afghanistan's opium poppy harvest produces more than 90% of the illicit heroin globally, and it's estimated that the opium production there provides over 400,000 jobs to people in Afghanistan. So what is clear is that Afghanistan is dependent upon opium on many levels, and that the CIA was initially involved and opium trafficking in the 80s and 90s in supporting the Mujahideen. And since that time, the CIA and U.S. officials have simply turned a blind eye and even protected the trade in a continuing effort to repel the Taliban. And so this is a fluid issue, right? Because at the time of the recording of this video, the U.S. is currently withdrawing troops from Afghanistan while the Taliban is pushing forward in the departed areas. So stay tuned about what's going to happen in Afghanistan. And last but not least, just a brief word about Mexico. Now, the CIA's interactions with Mexico are usually interwoven with our domestic law enforcement entities like the FBI, the DEA, INS, ATF, due to having a shared border. However, the CIA has been accused of compromising the identity of an undercover DEA agent that got him killed and is alleged to have turned a blind eye to certain drug cartels who would provide them with information so they could bust other rival cartel members. And specifically, El Chapo was accused of turning in some of his own people to gain favor with the CIA. This, of course, started a bloody internal battle, the specifics of which you can learn all about in my video on the history of El Chapo. Well, that is it for today's video. I hope you have enjoyed it. I hope that you have learned a little bit about the CIA in general and how they operate and how their activities throughout the world have not been inconsistent with what the CIA is actually designed to do. So, hey, do me a favor. If you learned something today, hit that like button. If you got a comment on any one of these scenarios or situations, put it in the comment section below. Let's get a discussion started about it. Don't forget, if you haven't, subscribe to the channel. And as always, you guys know it. I love it when you share me on social media. My name is Joshua Roberts, attorney at law, and you've been watching Lawyer Up. Send lawyers, guns, and money. Dad, get me out of this.